Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we once again ask you to join us here in this place this morning, and we trust that you are here with us. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. On October 2nd, 2006, a man named Charles Roberts, a local milk truck driver, locked himself inside an Amish one-room schoolhouse near Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Even all these years later, no one really knows for sure why he did what he did, but before the day was over, Roberts had killed five children injured five others, and has taken his own life. Lancaster is home to thousands of Amish families, and the Roberts family, who lived in their midst but was not themselves Amish, expected to never again be able to face their neighbors. Such was the pain they knew that they had caused their community. But something amazing happened. A few days after this tragedy, as the Roberts were preparing to begin what they had planned as a private funeral service for their son, the perpetrator of this horror, Terry Roberts, Charles's mother, turned and saw 40 Amish people quietly enter the graveyard. They'd come, but not in anger, not to protest, not to demand recompense. They'd come to attend the service and to worship God, to grieve and to pray for her son, and to forgive the family for what had happened. As Terry Roberts later remembered, love just emanated from them. And the forgiveness and love didn't stop. A grandfather of one of the murdered Amish girls was heard warning some young relatives not to hate Charles Roberts saying, we must not think evil of this man. Another Amish father said, he had a mother and a wife and a soul, and now he's standing before a just God. A member of a neighboring religious community said, I don't think there's anybody here that wants to do anything but forgive, and not only reach out to those who have suffered a loss in that way, but to reach out to the family of the man who committed these acts. Amish community members visited and comforted Robert's widow, his parents, his parents-in-law. And one Amish man held Robert's sobbing father in his arms for hours to comfort him. I remember when this happened. I was in seminary at the time, and it was a big news story for a long time. And the thing I remember most is the cultural weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not so much about how such an evil thing could have happened, although there was that, but about whether or not it was a good thing that the Amish community in Lancaster was being so forgiving. I actually went back and read some of the indignant articles just this week. There was this whole segment 
of the cultural commentary which actually criticized the Amish for their forgiveness, chiding them for not demanding, well, something. The feeling was that they ought to be angrier or more vindictive or, again, well, something. The world was befuddled by this forgiveness. There was no earthly justice to be had, of course, but people wanted someone to pay. And more than that, people wanted the Amish people to want someone to pay. But they didn't. Their knowledge that this boy had a soul and would stand before a just God was enough for them. And it enabled them to forgive. I hadn't thought about that story in a while But it popped into my head, and Charles Roberts' mother, Terry, in particular, popped into my head this week as I read the story of Joseph's reunion with his brothers in Genesis 45. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. And when those 40 Amish came around the corner of the cemetery. Terry Roberts felt just like Joseph's brothers, dismayed at their presence. She couldn't speak. She felt that she had wronged them in the most profound way possible and expected to receive their deserved hatred and judgment. And Joseph's brothers, of course, had wronged Joseph in an incredibly profound way and also expected hatred and judgment. But again, something amazing happened. Now, we only read the very end of the story this morning. But if you want to read the whole thing, it begins in Genesis chapter 37. Joseph is the second youngest of 12 brothers, sons of Jacob. He's Jacob's favorite. And he is given the famous coat of many colors to commemorate that fact. He also seems to be specially chosen of God, having these vivid dreams of his own greatness that he can't help but share with his family. In these dreams, he is seen to be ruling over his brothers and even over his parents. And it's finally all too much for his 11 brothers and they conspire to kill him. But expedience and his oldest brother Reuben's intervention saves Joseph's life. So instead of killing him, Joseph's brothers decide to only pretend to kill him, to tell their father that he's dead, having splashed animal blood all over that coat of many colors, and to sell Joseph into slavery in Egypt instead. Now, in Egypt, Joseph rises to prominence, indeed, second in command to Pharaoh himself, again, by using his God-given ability to interpret dreams. He sees that a famine is coming into the land and is able to warn Pharaoh to prepare for it. So when famine does come, Egypt has full storehouses, but no one else has any food. And that's what brings Joseph's brothers to the court of Pharaoh their hunger and desperation. And then, all of a sudden, there in front of them, with power over them, 
is the brother whom they wronged so deeply. And we want Joseph to be angry, don't we? Down deep, in places, as Jack Nicholson says in A Few Good Men, that we don't talk about at parties, we want Joseph to be angry. He's been treated horrifically by those who were supposed to love him most. We want Joseph to tear his brothers a new one. We want him to demand retribution or recompense. It's certainly how we would handle it if we were in his place. But of course, something different happens, something amazing. But even that is not adjective enough. What happens is not just something amazing. What happens here is supernatural. Because remember, in this story of Joseph, Joseph has been a conduit of God's word into the world from the beginning. He's been a speaker of God's truth into the world. First, to his brothers all those years ago. Even though they hated to hear it, Joseph, Joseph's dreams were from God. They were accurate. Here his brothers are, bowing down before him. Then to Pharaoh. God speaks the truth to Pharaoh about the coming famine through Joseph. And finally here to his brothers again. God's truth is spoken through Joseph once again. But this now is a special kind of truth. This is a prophetic word, not about some future event like the bowing down or the famine. This is a prophetic word to the world and to us, you and me here today, about the kind of love and forgiveness of which our God is capable. This forgiveness is not Joseph's doing. It comes like the dreams, straight from God. Now, do not be distressed, Joseph says, or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. You shall settle in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, all that you have. I will provide for you there since there are five more years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. Incredibly, miraculously, supernaturally, Joseph forgives. But remember, it doesn't really come from Joseph. It comes from God. And clearing up this confusion will help us understand this secret little urge within ourselves for Joseph to get righteously indignant with and demand recompense from his brothers. What's happened when we feel that way is that we have misplaced ourselves in this story. 
The reason those cultural commentators in 2006 wanted the Amish to be unforgiving toward the Roberts family is that they too had misplaced themselves in the story. We all think we're Joseph and that the decision to forgive is ours to make. But we are not Joseph. Those commentators back in 2006 placed themselves in the shoes of the Amish, thought about the times they'd been wronged, and decided that they should be the ones who determined how forgiving others should be, how much recompense they should require. And in just the same way, we like to imagine that we're Joseph, the wronged party, able to decide whether or not to bestow forgiveness on those who have wronged us. But we are not the Amish in their tragic story. And we are not Joseph. We, you and I, are Joseph's brothers, the guilty parties who have sold the one we were supposed to love and for whom we were supposed to care into slavery. That's who we are. We are Charles Roberts, sinful men and women with souls who will stand before a just God. Now listen, we are to forgive. The clear command of God in Scripture is that we are to forgive to turn the other cheek. We are called to emulate the Amish in Lancaster. We are called to be like Joseph to his brothers. We hear this clearly in this morning's gospel lesson from Luke 6. Jesus could not be any clearer about his expectation. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now we might well read that list of commands and react with the same wide-eyed shock with which the world regarded those forgiving Amish. How is this Possible? How could someone love another like this? Well, the Bible, in addition to telling us what Christian love and forgiveness looks like, also reveals its source. Scripture teaches that the ability to live in this way is a complete and total gift from God, it is a miracle. It is supernatural. Remember that Joseph in his story is a conduit of God's word into the world. And in the same way, if we are to so radically love, it must be God's own love working through us that does it. Not a love that we generate on our own. We are only able to love, the Bible teaches, because we were first loved by God. The ability to forgive, then, comes from being forgiven. The Amish were able to forgive the Roberts family because they knew themselves to be sinners who had been forgiven in Christ. 
They knew that they too had souls and would stand before a just God. Just like Charles Roberts. And that they would at that point desperately need the one of a kind, miraculous and supernatural forgiveness that is offered in Christ Jesus. Joseph, for his part, is acutely aware of God's activity in his life. Speaking to him as a boy, communicating with him in dreams, preserving him into Egypt, rescuing him from prison there, lifting him to a position of prominence in Pharaoh's court. God has been leading Joseph directly for his whole life. And Joseph knows as he confesses to his brothers that his entire ordeal was God's plan from the beginning. Joseph has been much cared for by God. So he is able, in turn, to care for his brothers, to forgive what might otherwise seem unforgivable. It's easy to read this story and forget Because of our humanity and in our good and God-given zeal to be as forgiving as Joseph, it's easy to forget that we are Joseph's brothers. So let us remember always that in the great drama of our salvation, Jesus is Joseph. We are the betrayers, the ones who shouted for our Savior to be crucified, the ones who denied him. The ones who even now fall back again and again into the temptation to be our own gods and into efforts to save ourselves. Jesus, however, refuses to return evil for evil. At just the right time, St. Paul says, while we were sinners and enemies of God, after we had sold our brother into slavery, it is right then, That Jesus comes, offering a forgiveness that we do not and could never deserve. Joseph's incredible forgiveness, his miraculous and supernatural forgiveness points us right to Jesus. We are, as that Amish man observed, sinful men and women with souls who will stand before a just God. You are a sinner who will stand before a just God. That's why you need undeserved forgiveness. You need a Savior who not only doesn't demand a recompense, but who instead becomes the recompense himself, finishing his saving work on the cross, dying that criminal's death that Joseph's brothers that Charles Roberts, and that you deserve, taking your sin upon himself and giving you his righteousness. Now, we can only pray that Charles Roberts knew the forgiveness of Jesus in the same way that his Amish neighbors did. What we do know is that Joseph's sinful brothers came to bask in his supernatural forgiveness reuniting with him in love. And so it is with you and Almighty God. On account of Jesus' accomplished forgiveness of your sins, in and on account of Christ, you 
are reunited with God, your Father. Your sin is atoned for. And you are once again His beloved child. In a moment, we'll confess our sins together. Throwing ourselves on the mercy of God's undeserved forgiveness in Christ. Confess with us. And you will have that forgiveness. Not because you've earned it, but because Jesus died for you. In his name, you will be absolved. And then at the end of the service, we'll sing Philip Bliss's classic hymn, Man of Sorrows, What a Name. Its lyrics capture Jesus' miraculous and supernatural forgiveness of your sin powerfully. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned, he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Guilty, helpless, lost were we. Blameless Lamb of God was He, sacrificed to set us free. He was lifted up to die. It is finished, was His cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. When He comes, our glorious King, all His ransomed home to bring, then anew this song we'll sing, Alleluia, what a Savior. This Savior, Jesus Christ, can and has forgiven even you. And so with us, keep on singing his forgiveness. It's the best song there is. Alleluia. What a Savior. Amen.